Robin, we need to talk. I don't know. <laughs> I said, until you said winter's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. God made it. I believe it. Theologically, she's right. You know, there you go. But no, it's been good already being in God's presence and singing these songs. And um, what a powerful way that we can honor God. Let me pray, and we'll jump in together. Gracious God, um, we do thank you even for winter, Lord, for the, the blessings that come with four seasons. And uh, Lord, the, for the fact that we know, we know the Creator. Um, what an awesome thing it is to be called a child of God by God Almighty. And Lord, for those of us who have stepped into that relationship with Jesus and through him with you, we are just, we are just so pleased to be yours and to have an opportunity to come today and to meet with you and to hear from you, Lord, through your word. And our prayer very simply is, uh, Lord, that you would speak, that each person who is here today would hear from you and they would know the voice of God speaking clearly and profoundly into their lives. And Lord, we pray that uh, not only would you speak, but you would give us the grace to respond by faith and by obedience, all out of love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're involved in this Maximize Living seri series, and I want to come clean today. I want to tell you the truth. I want to tell you the assumption that lies in my mind behind this series called Maximize Living, and it is this, that most of the people of God don't come close to living a maximized life. We, you know, we don't come close to experiencing life the way that we could experience life. And I hope through this series that you'll be able to take some steps forward to discover that uh, very reality uh, in your experience. You see, there is something very different that God has for us if we will only choose it. It's real, it's, it's profoundly different, it's remarkable. Not always easy, but remarkable. But many of us aren't there. What do you think about that? Are you there? What would you say? You know, I say this because of teaching that arises out of Judges chapter 6 and 7, the Gideon story, and we've reflected already for a couple of weeks on this. <clears throat> the story of God's people, the Israelites, being under oppression. The Midianites, the enemy, comes year after year in this huge swarm of people and of power and oppresses God's people, killing and destroying everything in their path. They're living in caves. They're unhappy. They're hopeless. They're suffering. Um, and then God comes to this man named Gideon. And I want, you to, I want us to look at where Gideon is at as this story begins. I want us... You know, to, to, as God reaches into Gideon's life, I want to see if you can recognize the life that Gideon is living in yourself. All right? Gideon's chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> Say this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing, threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, he said. Now, question is, how is Gideon living? What's his life about? What's his, his experience of life? I want to describe it this way. He is living afraid of his enemy. He is living, if you want to call it this way, a defeated life, overcome by the power 
of the Midianites. He is living a life hiding from them. He's in a wine press threshing wheat. You don't normally thresh wheat in a wine press. It's out in the open so the wind can blow the chaff away. He's in this big vat so that he can't be seen. He's hiding, literally keeping his head down, playing it safe. What God wants from this man is that he might lead God's people against the enemy to defeat it. Can you see the vast difference between the way Gideon is living and what God is calling him to, what he could experience in his life? The angel of the Lord comes. It's the Lord himself, the passage will soon tell us, and tells him, Gideon, you have the capacity of a mighty warrior. Just think about it. He's afraid. He's hiding. The bad guys are out there. I'm staying here. I'm not going near it. And God comes to him and says, you are a mighty warrior, somebody with incredible potential to do incredible things for me and to set my people free, to make a huge difference in life, in the lives of my suffering people. Now, this is obviously news to Gideon. I'm not sure this, this thought had ever crossed his mind before. And he begins to argue with God. Have you ever argued with God? A lot of people do. A lot of people in Scripture, especially when God calls to them and says, listen, this is what I have for you. This is the maximized life that I want you to live. And it's in verse 13 to 16, so let's read that. I love it in the NIV. He begins twice with the words, pardon me, my Lord. Like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> but listen, verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the, his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in uh, Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. The least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. <laughs> you see, what, what, what he comes to God with is, is that these arguments that he thinks have real value and worth. You know, the first thing that he does is essentially blame God for his circumstance. You know, where, where have you been all these years? You've abandoned us. And the second thing he does is come along to God and say, I'm too weak. As a matter of fact, I am the weakest of the weak. And by the way, I want you to notice this. He is directly contradicting God. It's easy to do. He said, God, I hear what you're saying, but I, I completely disagree. And I think I'm right. You know? God comes. He won't relent. God won't give up. God has a purpose. God has an intention. And he answers in both instances. He says in, in the first, go with the strength that you have. Give me what you got. Just go with the capacity that you have, number one. And secondly, you think you're weak. Don't worry about it. You will succeed because I am going to go with you. It's not about how strong you are. It's entirely about how strong I am. Your strength is irrelevant. It's not important. Because I, the God of heaven and earth, will be with you, and I will exercise my power to accomplish the purposes I want to see accomplished. So go and you will succeed. By the way, not just a little bit. 
this overwhelming power that has come against you that you seem hopeless to be able to, to tackle and, and, and resist, I'm going to give you overwhelming victory. Did you notice? All the Midianites will be struck down. All of them. It's an overwhelming victory that God is talking about. Those hordes that can't be counted, that seem incredibly pow powerful, in a little while they will be gone through you, Gideon. See, the word of God came to Gideon, and I want to suggest, and I hope and I pray with all of my heart, the word of God comes today to you also. It comes to Gideon. You know, and, and, and listen, my friends, if we live under the authority of the word of God, if we say, Lord, you have spoken in the book, the Bible, it is inspired, it is true, it is how you speak to me, then we have to hear the word of God coming through that book via Gideon's experience and know it's coming to us as well, right? And if we're in that place, what it comes to us and said is too often we as God's people, we're living in the wine press while the enemy is having his way in our land. Our enemy is the devil. Our enemy is the one who is powerful, yes. But what the word of God might say is, you know, like with Gideon, you're not, you're not engaging the battle. You're not fighting back. You know, you're keeping your head down. <laughs> you're just trying to survive. You know, he's, he's doing his job. He's providing for his family. That's where his focus is. That's where his energy is going. He's hiding, though, but he, and he's playing it safe. <laughs> and quite frankly, he has no concern for anybody but himself and his family. You know, it's just, uh, it's the way it is. Nothing I can do about it. And I want to tell you, my friends, God comes to us today, and he is calling us, we who are the people of Jesus, he is calling us, hear this, he is calling you, mighty warrior. And I don't know how you first respond to that, but that's what he's calling you by his word. He's calling you one who has great potential to make a huge difference in this world of ours and in the suffering of the people God loves. He is calling you to participate in overcoming the enemy, our enemy, who is so powerfully at work in this world. And he's saying to both Gideon and to us, step out of the norm. Step out of that which is safe and into an adventure with me, and you will see amazing things which I can do through you. How do you respond to that? Like, I'm serious. God, I hope, is speaking to you today. And I want to know how you respond to that. We'll probably argue like Gideon. We're human like he was. And we'll probably, you know, have similar arguments. You know, God, but where have you been all my life? Look at the mess this world's in. You've abandoned us. God doesn't take that bait, and he just basically says, go with the strength that I've given to you. I'm sending you. And he says, <laughs> you know, we could say, actually, uh, God, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can be a mighty warrior. I don't think I can participate in overcoming the enemy and experiencing great victory in this world. I'm too weak. I'm not able. <laughs> I'm no mighty warrior. And God says, you go, and I will go with you. And my power will be exercised through you. It's not about you. But as you go and I exercise my power through you, you will do something great for me. You, you see, 
What God is saying, I would suggest to us through this text, it's time to stop hiding. It's time to stop leaving the enemy alone. It's time to stop living with our heads down. It's time to stop living this self-focused life. It's time to do something significant for God. Well, Gideon, uh, he continues the dialogue. And he basically says to God, I need you to show me a sign. There are three signs in these texts that Gideon asks for. Two of them which are to come are about the fleece, which some of you might have heard about. We'll read about them next week. But this first sign has nothing to do with the fleece. Let's listen. Hear what he asks God. Verse 17 um, to 23. Gideon replied, Now if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you, God, talking to me. You kind of need to know that if you're going to kind of really step out and battle the Midianites, right? Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from, the, uh, from an ephath of flour he made bread without yeast in the way that was dictated and honoring to the Lord. Put the meat in a basket, and uh, putting the meat in the basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, uh, take the meat and the unleavened, unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face face to face the Lord said to him peace do not be afraid you are not going to die see my friends Gideon asks for this this evidence that this is truly God and it's really what God wants for him and God proves himself to that man um, and he allowed Gideon to meet the Lord face to face understand the power of that moment in Gideon's life so now he's no longer focused upon nor is he afraid of the Midianites. He's got this fear of God in him, like that healthy fear of the almighty and living God who has just spoken to him and called him into this dramatic shift and change. He's afraid of this God. And I want to tell you, my friends, this is exactly what he needs if he's going to be able to step out of the wine press. I want you to know something really important here before we go on. Gideon met God in worship. Gideon met God in worship. Let me say this. Please do not tell me that worship isn't important. Please do not tell me that worship is something to be engaged when we feel like it or when it is convenient to us. Please, please, please don't tell me that worship is something we do when there's nothing else more important for us to do. Because I want to tell you, my friends, there's nothing more important that you can do than worship God. Be in His presence. Because it is there that God reveals Himself so that we see God face to face. Well, and what Gideon does is simply act in faith and obedience. Verse 24 to 27. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah. 
I always got to be careful not to say Oprah. I don't know, but I, I do. Ophrah of the Abizrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bowl from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Just for clarity, the second bowl is the best bowl. Okay? doesn't seem that way, but that's the reality. This is the prize bowl that would be incredibly important to his family and to his community. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asher pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asher pole that you cut down, offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but be because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Now, why was he afraid? Why did he do it at night rather than in the daytime where everyone could see him? Let's carry on, 28 to 32. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bowl sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is God, he can defend himself when somebody breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal that day saying, and this is what that name means, literally, let Baal contend with him. Let Baal can contend with him, take care of him. You see, what, what he's afraid of, the reason he did it at night, because he knew that it might cost him his life. That's serious stuff. <laughs> this man has heard from God. God has proved himself to Gideon, and he has stepped out of the wine press and laid his life on the line to do exactly what God has called him to do. See, fear is no longer holding him back. God has protected him. He's no longer hiding. He's no longer living out of fear. He's no longer self-focused. He's taking God at his word, and he's risking his life to do what God wants done. Now, question number one today for you who are here, and for me too. Please don't think I don't grapple with these things. I grapple with it like all week long, never mind like one half an hour on a Sunday morning, my goodness. But here's the question I have for you. Are you living in the wine press or have you stepped out of it to live a life of adventure with God? The more I've dwelt on that question, the more profound it has become to me. So let me ask it again. Are you living in the wine press or have you stepped out of it to live a life of absolute adventure with God? See, a life of obedience, a life of risk-taking, a life of overcoming fear to do the things that God has created you to do for Him. My friends, God wants to work through, I'm going to put it this way, I'm going to personalize it. God wants to work through you to overcome the enemy so that people who are living with suffering and oppression might be set free from the enemy. I don't know how I can say or summarize the Word of God more clearly than that from this text. And what it means for us, number one, whatever God tells us to do, we have to do. Whenever God comes into our lives and God speaks and He calls us into action for Him, we have to do it. Now, 
that could be, and based on this text and other, many other texts, it could feel really risky. As a matter of fact, if you really apply the text the way that it, that it is written and were intended to, it might be and probably will be unsafe in some ways. <laughs> but we have to refuse to let fear hold us back. You know, this life that God is calling us for out of the wine press, it's going to be different. And it's going to be challenging. <laughs> and it's going to feel scary very, very often. But we have to do what God calls us to do. And secondly, I think this is really important in terms of application. We have to recognize that what God, Gideon is directed to do first and foremost is to minister among God's people. Do you see that? The Israelites. What God asks Gideon to do is to destroy their idols so that that idolatry will be challenged and so that it will be replaced as it visibly was to the people in the morning with the worship of the living God. This is a profound statement God has Gideon make among his people. So if we really want to understand what this text means to us, we've got to think first of all about taking these risky steps of obedience and doing what God calls us to within and among his people. Now, I'm going to give some examples of what this might look like, but in the end of the day, I can't tell you what God is going to call you to do. I don't know. All I can do is tell you from the word of God that he's going to call you to something if you're his. And it's going to call you to a life that's very different than maybe you are living, if indeed you're living in the wine press. Head down, not engaging the enemy, taking care of myself. Afraid. Well, what about some of these things? You know, I can almost guarantee, life groups are a huge part of what we do here. We, a whole bunch of groups meet in homes primarily through the week. Um, community is built. People learn from Scripture. The Spirit of God works. They care for one another, and they serve, and all those things. Many of you know about that. But I would bet you dimes to dollars if I was a betting man, as I say, that some of those life group leaders, when first asked to lead a life group, were really reluctant because they were afraid they couldn't do it. I bet you. Because it's just the normal way people respond when God calls them to something. But there are so many people now leading these groups and in those groups people come together in the name of Jesus and Jesus meets them there by his spirit and the word of God is opened and people are challenged to move away from their idols and to grow in faith and to worship God and God alone. And community is built and people love people, love one another with the love of God. And people are taken from suffering to life because some people were willing to face their fear and say yes to what God called them to do. I remember speaking to someone um, and said, hey, listen, I think you would be great in our healing care ministry or in our healing ministry that is run here. And, and, and I think you would be great at leading a group and really participating in what God's doing in that way. And the person said to me, the, the, the response, oh, I couldn't do that. <laughs> oh, hi, Gideon. Called that person Gideon ever since? Not really. But it's exactly the same thing. And it was a scary thing, a scary proposition to do what that person had never done before. And to think that God might work in a similar fashion to how that person had seen God work in other leaders' lives. 
I want to tell you, that person is leading in our healing care ministry now, and God is profoundly at work in that life group, and the enemy is being overcome in the lives of God's people. I've told you this before, and I keep coming back to it because I just think it, it's kind of funny in one way, but it's, it's you know, not funny for the people who think it. But the idea of serving with teenagers, people have told me, not just one, teenagers scare me. You know, they scare me. <laughs> I couldn't do that. It's not something that I could embrace. <laughs> I want to tell you, my friends, those kids need people of God to hear the call of God in their lives and to face their fear and to get out of the wine press and to enter into ministry so that the enemy can be overcome so those kids can grow up knowing Christ and living for him for the rest of their days children's ministry you know my goodness what huge opportunity to make an impact for God right now right now God is at work through people who have just been willing to say yes to him you say, well, how, how can God, you know, in this context, the, the, the teaching is tear down the idols of God's people. How can God tear down idols in the lives of little children? Well, if you've had children, you know that they have an idol because they're human beings. And their idol is themselves. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. Thank you. <laughs> See, she's good, huh? She's good. It's part of being human. We want to live in the wine press. We want to focus on our own needs. We want to provide for ourselves and our families. And we want to forget the rest of the world. And look after number one. My friends, as those kids encounter Jesus, their hearts will be changed and their lives will be changed and they will become mighty warriors for Jesus. That's the reason we do children's ministry. And that's what God will accomplish through people who step out, face their fears, overcome what it is that's holding them back from an adventure with God. You know, I, I thought this week about uh, going to Nicaragua, which if you're new here, we've done for 20, is it 22 years this year? I'm not sure. Um, and again, I'm just going to tell you a little story, and I've told it before, but somebody came to us as a missionary and, and said, hey, will you go to Nicaragua and consider missions there as a church? And ever since then, we've, focused our international missions in, in Nicaragua. And uh, so I went to the elders, a session, and said, hey, anybody want to come to Nicaragua with me? Of course, Bill Chesney, many of you know Bill. He said, I'll go. But again, there were a lot of people who said, you can't do that. This is 1996. The war ended. The civil, brutal civil war ended in 1991. And all they could think about were bullets flying and bombs being exploded and people being ripped apart. <laughs> And we were cautioned about going to Nicaragua because people were afraid of what might happen to us. Certainly, we're so afraid that they wouldn't consider going themselves. But God called. An impact has been made for the kingdom, so I believe, over the course of 22 years. As we continue to impact lives there, God's people there. Let me throw one more out. You know, the, the idea, and this is going a little bit beyond our internal dynamic, but I want to throw this out. In September, we spent four weeks on a Sunday morning and four weeks in our live group, life group talking about how we might share our stories of encountering Jesus with people who don't know him. Remember that? Yeah, good. And we talked about what life was like before Christ and how we met Jesus and what life has become since and how dramatically different it is, how God blesses how people, take, how people are taken to really experiencing the Lord and finding life in Him. 
And I want to tell you, while I don't know how many people have shared their story, or if anybody has shared their story for that matter, I know that sharing our stories with people who don't know Jesus is a scary proposition. Because while some people might be open and celebrate what we have to say, other people might mock us and reject us and move beyond a relationship with us. And nobody wants that. But my friends, I got to tell you, we got to step out of the wine press. We've got to face the fear. We've got to hear the call of God. And we have got to share the reality of Christ with people who are living under the influence of the enemy and suffering and not able to find life in Jesus today and for eternity until we do. Here's my second question. It's, it's just really, it's really simple. It's very similar. Have you ever done anything um, adventurous for God? I hope you hear what I'm, what, what I'm saying when I'm asking the question. I'm using the word adventurous. Have you done anything that's truly risky for him? Have you ever done something that required you to face real fear, <clears throat> but you've done it anyway because God has called you to do it and you knew it in your heart of hearts? This is what the Lord is asking of me. And here's a secondary question because I think it's so critical to the whole dynamic. Have you, have you come to that place where you've seen God face to face and acted on what he has told you to do? See, Gideon couldn't care less about what God wanted even when God showed up in his life and told him what he wanted until in worship he encountered God face to face. He knew that he was in the presence of the living God. God had proved himself to Gideon. And in that moment, everything changed in Gideon's life. He didn't care about the power of the Midianites anymore. He really didn't. He didn't care, you know, about his wheat anymore. He trusted God to provide. All he cared about once he had encountered the living God was acting in faith and obedience to God's call. And from that moment, he just went out and he did exactly what God called him to do. You see, my friends, you're not going to get to adventurous living until you encounter God face to face. Nor am I. See how he went from playing it safe, head down, defeated life, caring for only for himself while the whole world around him was suppressed and hopeless. This is a huge shift in his life. <clears throat> Do you know one of the idols of God's people that I think just is inherently described in this text? One of those things that we give high priority to, one of these things we hold up as unassailable in our lives, one of those things that just is there which we won't even contemplate something other than that. It's the idol of safety and the idol of comfort. <laughs> the idol of safety and the idol of comfort. So that if anything requires of us the facing of our fears, so easily we dismiss it as if somehow that is a reasonable explanation for us not doing what God's calling us to do. I want to tell you here and now, when it comes to the things of God and his call in our lives, fear has no relevance. Nowhere in the Bible does God say, oh, well, if it's dangerous, don't go there. Or if it makes you afraid, forget about it. 
Nowhere. As a matter of fact, the message is entirely contrary to that. Moses, go get my people out of, out of slavery. Whoa, was there a reaction to that one? <laughs> Moses, this shepherd going to speak to Pharaoh, the powerful king of the land? A convicted murderer, by the way, going back to where he was accused of, of murder and might have to face the consequences? I mean, I could go on and on. Nowhere in the Bible does fear get to um, free us from the call of God. As a matter of fact, when God calls, what's it likely that we're going to encounter? Say it. Fear. But it puts us in that place where we're entirely dependent on the living God to accomplish through us what we cannot accomplish ourselves. You get it? That's why we're afraid. <laughs> I can't do that. My friends, God promises, and he proves so often in Scripture that he will show up and he will provide and he will act. And all of a sudden, out of that faith, which is willing to face fear in obedience, God uses us to do something great for him. And I guess today I'm just here to ask you, um, is this something you're willing to embrace? You see, what I'm talking about here, what this text is talking about, it's not me talking, it's God talking about it. It's the question of how will we live as the people of God? You get the, you get the power of the question now? I'm telling you, we can have this lovely church with all of these people doing all of these things, but each one of us can live in a wine press, and we can just keep our heads down, and we let somebody else worry about the Mennonites. Mennonites. Uh, the Midianites. <laughs> Oh, come on, give me a break. <laughs> oh, those Mennonites, they'll get you every time. <laughs> okay, back. <laughs> Why do I hear Robin laughing louder than everybody else? Um, but we, <laughs> we really can, right? We can live in the wine press. I've been avoiding saying this, but I'm going to say it and let the world, you know, uh, uh, leave the world. What's the phrase? Okay, the phrase while the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm not kidding. We can live in our wine press. We can stay focused on our own selves and, our, and the needs of our own family, as good as that is, and let the world go to hell in a handbasket because we don't care. It's too much. It's too powerful. I can't, I can't make a difference. Listen, Gideon contradicted the word of God spoken to him. He said, God, you are wrong. I am not a mighty warrior. <laughs> I can't do it. And I want to say to you today, my friends, do not contradict the word of God, for you are a mighty warrior. If you know Jesus, if Christ's spirit dwells in you, if you are willing to simply do what God calls you to do, even though it might be a scary proposition, God will work powerfully through you to accomplish great things for him. He will. And I can say that with authority because that's what the Bible is saying to us today. And we get to choose how we're going to live. That's bizarre, but it's true. You know, I want to wind down. And I want to suggest that as people are listening to this today, there, there are four propositions that we're going to put one at a time onto the screens. And 
one of these propositions may be where you're at and what you really need to grapple with. So let's put the first one up. The first one is, I need to hear the ask from God. You know, maybe I should have written, I need to hear the big ask from God. <laughs> you know what I mean by that, right? Uh, you know, I need to get, I, I need to, unlike Gideon at the beginning, I need to have that encounter with God. I need to have that moment with God where I, where I come to terms in clear ways and know in my heart of hearts what it is he's calling me to do. Now, I'm not saying there's anyone in particular, but there could be people here who are living in the wine press and they're just focused on themselves and providing for their family and they have never heard God speak into their lives about what he's calling them to. Like, I'm saying that based on the text, right? If that's you, it could be that this is where you need to spend a few moments of time or a few weeks or even a few months to figure this out. Because God is calling you, he is calling you to more than threshing wheat in a wine press to provide for yourself and your family, as good as that is. And you know, one of the things that you might do is very simply get into the presence of God and say, Lord, what do you want from me? Or get quiet enough in his presence that you might hear his voice. Maybe today God is whispering into your mind, this is what I want from you. This is why I have created you. This is how I'm going to use you to overcome the enemy. So number one, it might be to hear the, the big ask from God. Number two, you need to come to a place where you believe in your potential for him. <laughs> and there are probably a ton of people in this church saying, well, that might be so for Gideon and it might be so for other people, but I really am weak and I can't do it. I'm not a mighty warrior. Again, if that's you, based on the authority of Scripture, you are contradicting the truth of God. Every single person indwelt by the Spirit of Jesus can be used powerfully to accomplish the will of God in this world and among his people. And you just might have to really grapple with this and go to God and say, Lord, is this really true until you have that truth in your heart and you believe it with your whole soul so much that you're willing to dramatically change your life to take hold of that potential. Number three, maybe what you need to do is for the first time see God face to face. You know, to go beyond a basic, foundational, simple, beautiful, but simple faith in Jesus, to have that encounter with God where you, your eyes are open to see his majesty and his power and his beauty and his grace, to, to just be awed by the reality of who God is so that when he speaks and when he calls, saying no to him isn't an option anymore. Because the fear of God has settled into your heart. You see, until Gideon, as I've said already, had that experience of encountering the Lord in reality, having that profoundly spiritual experience, he just wasn't willing, and he really didn't care. And maybe you need to go to God, and maybe you need to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to reveal yourself to me in a new way. Because I know that's what I need in this journey. And then lastly, number four, there could be people who have gone through this process. They've heard God's call. They know what it is. It scares them, maybe a lot. But you've come to hear the voice of God and saying, you, are, you can be used in a powerful way for my kingdom, not because of your strength, but because of mine. 
and you've had that encounter with God where he's proven himself to you profoundly, deeply, in a life-changing way, and now it's time to step out in fear. Not letting fear hold you back, actually stepping out because you've come to know what it means to fear the Lord more than it means to fear the Midianites. And all you want to do and all you want for your life is to honor him, to worship him, to serve him, to see his purposes accomplished in this world. First and foremost, through the defeating of idolatry among God's people. Now, you know what we're going to do right now? We're just going to take a moment. I'm going to ask Robin to play a little bit, just quietly. If you want to close your eyes and think about which place you're at, what you need to do, do it. If you want to leave your eyes open and look at the screen, that's fine. But will you just spend a moment in the presence of God? Say, Lord, I need to know the ask. God, I need to believe in the potential that is in my life for you. I need to see your face, God. Show it to me. God, it's time for me to step out in fear, and I'm going to do it. So let's do that. Let's just have a quiet time in God's presence. Deal with him as by his spirit he speaks to you right now. I'm going to pray for you. It's a remarkable thing to realize what you want of us. To be people of incredible courage. To people who hear the call of God in our lives and to step in to specifically what you are calling us to do. To be the people, in spite of our weakness, who experience the power of God flowing through us. To be people who have seen the face of God and are willing to say yes Lord I'll do it God I pray for every follower of Jesus before you today myself included God I pray that they will respond to your word this morning I pray that you'll make clear to them what step they might need to take God, I pray that in the end they will become like Gideon who stepped out of what was to step into what you called him to. So that in the end, our God, we might be used in a powerful way to overcome the enemy, to see people find faith in Jesus, to see people's lives healed and restored, 
to see people, Lord, as we go out into the world, hearing about and discovering faith in Jesus, that they too might become part of this spirit-filled and powerful movement called the church. As we, as your servants, see the enemy defeated. God, I pray for your people that you will lead them in this. Lord, I feel like praying it, although I don't need to, I pray that you will not relent until we say yes. And I pray, Lord, that you will form a church of people here, Lord, who are not hiding, focused only on themselves and their family, but, Lord, a people which is passionate to see God move powerfully among us, Lord, draw us, call us into that adventure with you. So at the end of our lives, we can stand back and just be amazed at what you have done because we said yes to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your presence with us right now. Thank you. this we pray in Jesus' name.